Well, hello! Welcome back to Between the Lines, the podcast. I am Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. This is episode 26 of the podcast, and we're really starting to build some momentum now. There's no doubt in my mind, um, as much as I had doubts early on, um, but there's no doubt now that Between the Lines is making a difference in the recovery community. Um, Just a little bit at a time, uh, we continue to grow, and I couldn't be more proud. Uh, I'd like to give quick shout-outs to new listeners this week in Cleveland. Thank you, Cleveland. And Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, Maybe they are uh, sitting with Seinfeld's parents there at the the Boca Vista. Anyway, if any of you have been listening and learning, uh, along with um, my new listeners in Cleveland and Boca Raton, uh, please remember to rate, review, and follow Between the Lines podcast. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Bibbidi Blabbidi, wherever you find your uh, podcasts. As always, uh, if you'd like to help support my mission to spread kindness, positivity, and hope, and to destigmatize addiction, right here on the podcast, please click the support the podcast link at the end of the episode notes. Um, and of course, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast or about my book, or if you'd like to share your recovery story on a future episode, please drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. But more important than anything else, thank you all for listening today. This week, I will be interviewing best selling author and alcoholic in long term recovery. Karen Casey. But before we get to that, this is the good news. The good news is brought to you, as always, by OnStage, a theater outreach and audience development program working in collaboration with colleges in and around Minneapolis-St. Paul. OnStage uses teaching artists to facilitate in-class discussions, courageous conversations, if you will, about relevant social, political, and cultural topics that bubble up in plays currently running in local theaters. What an incredibly worthwhile mission. Um, If you want to learn more about OnStage or if you want to make a donation to the cause, check them out at onstagemn.org. That's onstagemn.org. The good news story this week comes from the Washington Post. I've heard of him, who reported that Eli Lilly, one of the world's top three producers of insulin, is slashing the price of its most widely prescribed insulin by 70%. The price cut will go into effect in the fourth quarter of 2023. Let's just hope that the other top insulin producers uh, will be following suit uh, in 2023 as well. This should have a a huge impact on the lives of millions of people who uh, live with and have to continually treat and manage their diabetes. So that was the good news. Now let's get to the interview already. (laughs) 
So my guest today is Karen Casey. She is an alcoholic with almost 50 years in recovery. She's also the author of Each Day, A New Beginning, Daily Meditations for Women. First published in 1982, this was the first daily meditation book written expressly for women in recovery from addiction. This year, to mark the 40th anniversary of the publication of Each Day, A New Beginning, she has released a 40th anniversary edition with some new uh, bells and whistles added. I should also mention that over that 40 year period, Each Day a New Beginning has surpassed the 4 million copies sold mark. On a related note, I just celebrated the one year anniversary of the release of my book. And I don't have the official sales numbers yet, but I think it's safe to say that I'm right on Karen's tail there. Just, <laughs> just one big week away from hitting that 4 million mark as well. So look out, Karen. Uh, I should also mention that Karen has gone on to write more than two dozen other books. Uh, and it, it is uh, a sure thing to say that it will take more than a good week for me to catch up with Karen on that one. When Karen isn't writing, she can often be found lecturing or leading workshops about addiction and recovery all around the world. She has spoken to tens of thousands of people over her almost five decades in the recovery community. And I read also that she plays golf, one of my favorite sports, and rides a Harley. But even more interesting to me, she was once an elementary school teacher, close to my heart. Anyway, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let me introduce you to Karen Casey. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. How are you feeling thank today? Thank you. Oh, thank you. This is great. I have to make one change. Actually, sure. I, I gave up riding my Harley. Oh, okay. right. I, You know, I'm 83 now, Jay. It just, <laughs> it just felt like you know, there were too many big trucks and I'm too little. <laughs> yes, <laughs> next yes. Next to those big trucks, too little and too old next to those big trucks. Well, I, I'm but, uh, 48 and I, I'd be scared to get on one uh, even at my age. So <laughs> I understand. But the, just, to, just to know that you were once riding a Harley around. Oh, yeah. It's a good image. Yeah, it was it was great time. I, I have a picture of me on my Harley on my wall, in fact. Yeah. My husband and I did lots of cross-country trips, went to Sturgis a bunch of times. Oh wow. You know, did did all the things you do on a Harley. Wow. That's so great. That's so great. Um, and I read that this I know it was a long time ago, but you were once an elementary school teacher. I did. I, I taught in Lafayette, my hometown, when I, I my undergraduate was at Purdue University. And mm -hmm. uh so I taught in my hometown. In fact, I taught at the same elementary school that I had attended and the same principal who had been there when I was an elementary student was still the principal when wow. I taught there. Wow. And then my first husband, I'm I'm on number two now. And yeah. <laughs> it'll, that'll be it. You know? I hope so. Yeah. And um, but I moved to the moved here to Minnesota. Right. And um, then. I taught uh, here uh, second and third grade for mm -hmm. an additional five or six years and then decided ultimately because of all the changes in my life and, um, and the fact actually that, that he decided to uh, leave the marriage to devote more time to alcohol and other women. Yeah. 
that. <laughs> and, and that, but that opened, you know, it's funny how what looks like the worst thing in the world at the time opens up the door we really need to pass through oh you are you are you're speaking right to me there i uh, i was a i was a teacher for 15 years a high school english teacher at my old high school oh no Uh, kidding yeah the principal wasn't there anymore but uh yes i was a teacher there uh actually for 10 years at my old high school five years at a different high school and uh issues surrounding my addiction led to uh to me leaving leaving teaching. Uh, and it, again, like you just said, what seems like the worst thing in the world, um, which it certainly did to me at the time, uh, has opened up a whole new chapter or a whole new book, I guess I would say, uh, yeah. for me. And uh, you know, as much as I miss it, I know that it, at least in some ways, it was also a blessing really. It's something that um, you know I've gained a lot through that as well. Yeah, yeah, if that hadn't have happened, if Bill hadn't have, uh, found um, a new avenue for himself. <laughs> yes, I I would not have ended up um, going. First of all, going to graduate school mm-hmm. at the University of Minnesota, getting a doctorate at the University of Minnesota, and ultimately entering the rooms of recovery. Right. So, you know, one thing just led to another, and uh, and you know, then I became a writer of books i mean none of which had been on my radar screen yeah you know i just i i really believe jay and i believe it's true for all of us that there that we have us a lot of specifics that we need to accomplish on this trajectory through life Mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily know what those are and until they are introduced to us and and sometimes we're uh, alarmed or afraid or sometimes glad uh, but they will come when they need to come and that's really how I look at the changes in my life they they all um, transpired on time yeah that's a great way a great way to yeah. think about it yeah it makes it a lot easier to to, to believe that too and and to continue on the on the path you know um and I've certainly come to to learn that it, it wasn't easy, uh, but yeah, I think I'm in I'm in the same boat with you on that. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, before we get into your books, a little bit about what what led you uh, to the rooms, about your experience um, with alcoholism, and then I know that I, I read that you you started by going to Al-Anon, but then later into AA meetings. Is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I I was always a poor chooser. and uh and and actually my my first husband uh, we met in a class at Purdue and uh like what happens for a lot of people I think you know uh I was focused on him because he was really cute and really smart Mm -hmm. and um and also he had a red Buick convertible (laughs) and that was very appealing and he liked to drink yeah and so did I I mean I had certainly discovered that I had taken my first drink at age 13 and mm. I wasn't a daily drinker from 13 on but I always knew that somehow alcohol gave me a sense of well-being and confidence and um and so discovering somebody who was cute and smart and had a red Buick convertible and liked to drink felt like this is the perfect choice 
And, and we spent 12 years wandering um, the paths together, first at Purdue, because we got married while we were in college at Purdue. And then when we moved here to Minneapolis for him to also pursue uh, a PhD in, in American studies, which mm -hmm. he never did complete. And um, I always kind of chuckle because <laughs> uh, because he didn't, but I did. That's and right. that had not even been my intention. But <laughs> uh, but again, see, you never know. You just That's never right. know. But, but, you know, it was um, after he left, um, in, instead of kind of looking at my life and saying, what might be different or what could I do different? I just did what was in front of me, which meant I just kept choosing people who also drank and partied like mm -hmm. me. And, and kind of mysteriously, none of, none of those encounters seemed to have a negative impact on my success in graduate school. That's hard to explain. Yeah. It, it, um, and I discovered in graduate school that writing uh, was so pleasurable. And that too was something that I had not expected. But one bar stool led to another, one bad relationship led to another. And I ended up with somebody who um, went to treatment mm. and his counselor said to me, you need to go to Al-Anon, which is not an unusual thing mm -hmm. for a counselor to say to the um, significant other of somebody in treatment. So I went to an Al-Anon meeting um, in 1974. And, and since you're kind of familiar with Minneapolis, it was, um, right across from Loring Park. Okay, it was, sure. Was where was I, it was at at uh, on Mount Curve at the Unitarian Society mm. where I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. And I didn't have any idea what to expect. I had never heard of Al-Anon. I think I had maybe vaguely heard of AA, but uh, but Al-Anon was totally new experience. I went in and it was a miraculous feeling. It felt kind of like the comfort that first drink at age 13 had mm -hmm. given me. You know, I, I sat down and I looked around and I knew nobody, but I felt at home. Yes. And, and it, it felt like this is a place I want to return to. So I, I did, I kept going. To Al-Anon, I did not quit drinking. Mm -hmm. it, didn't, it, it didn't compute that I also had a problem um, until another counselor addressed that with me. And, um, and the funny thing is, is that uh, this was a different significant other. Mm -hmm. at that point. <laughs> but um, I, I had lots of them. And they were, as I said, they, I, I made one bad choice after another. I mean, the one thing that was the same with all of them is that they were big drinkers like me. Right. Yeah. But he and I ended up in a couples counseling group, and there were six couples in the group. And we all had to share our stories with the group and get feedback. Well, he never showed up. <laughs> six times that we were meeting, and each time, talk about codependency, mm -hmm. each time, I made even a better excuse in the week before as to why he couldn't be there. 
because I didn't want it to make me look bad. No. And you know, the codependent, and I, I really think that I came out of the womb codependent. Yeah. You know, I, I think that my inability to feel truly at ease places is why I always wanted to take somebody as my hostage. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if they were good for me or not. They were going to, in some fashion, be mine. Yeah. And, and so that counselor on the sixth week, when once again, he didn't show, she said, well, Karen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And I began to talk. And she said, you know, Karen, I really, from what I'm hearing you say, I think that you actually need AA. And it was like, oh, really? And she said, yeah, I, it seems to me that that's what your story reflects. And so I, I agreed to go. I mean, I, it's like, just tell me. I, I was a Jack Daniels drinker. I drank a quarter Jack Daniels a day. I had an amazing capacity for a not very big person. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, and I went that following Monday night, uh, a couple people from that group said they would meet me and walk in with me. And, uh, and honestly, Jay, I walked in and I looked around and I thought, holy, holy, moly <laughs> not really what i thought but i thought here's where all the good looking men are yeah why didn't i why didn't i come here a long time ago these <laughs> men are really good looking they were in their mid to 30s to mid 40s i was 36 you know all of these men are here and, and they're sober yeah and, uh, and and it was like i tell you that was an incredible new beginning. I the idea of taking another drink simply evaporated. Wow. And and that was what was so amazing. I mean, I had a, a bottle of Jack Daniels sitting on my kitchen counter uh, or cabinet. And uh I went home and I simply poured it out. The idea of taking a drink was absolutely anathema to me and that has been how it has it's been like that for the rest of my life and i had not but but that was what was so funny and (laughs) and, you know what happened at that first meeting too of course you know i'm still on the lookout i mean these (laughs) these these men are sober good Uh (laughs) and and much to my uh relief a man came up to me, good looking, I might add, at the end of the meeting and said, now I noticed you in the first step group. Are you new? And I said, oh, yes, this was my very first meeting. And he said, now you be sure and come back next week. And of course, that's what we tell all newcomers. But yeah. I didn't understand. I didn't know that. And I thought, oh, oh my God, he wants to have a relationship with me. <laughs> that's why he wants me to come back and and I thought about him all week long I thought oh my gosh I wonder what kind of relationship we're going to have I wonder what it's going to be like maybe we'll even get married I mean you know how crazy your mind is and I went back that next week 
And I saw him over in the corner talking to another woman. And I thought, oh my God, our relationship isn't even off the ground. <laughs> and he is already behaving like Bill, my first husband. Yeah. He's already talking to a, another woman. So, you know, my I started out in AA uh, with... The only thing good, I would say, is the desire to drink was gone. Yes. But I started out in AA thinking, this is the perfect place to find another man. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's whatever the, you know, that's the that that's the hook that got you to keep, to come back. Right. It, it is. I went yeah. back because of that. And, you know, I, I, I've shared that before with, with sponsees and stuff. It doesn't matter why you go back to that yeah. next meeting, just so you go back. Yeah, you know, they say, you know, you sit, sit around the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, wow. it's, I feel just so lucky that I, that I went back and that I yeah. met women who said to me, you know, Karen, in AA, we don't get involved in relationships for the first year. Yeah, I'm just gonna, and, I was just going to bring that up. That was probably yeah. hard to swallow at the, in the beginning. Yeah, and and I was like, and and actually, Eileen and Chris were the two women, and they are both still I, present. Eileen lives here mm -hmm. in the Twin Cities. Chris lives on the West Coast, but we still are in touch with each other. Wow! And but when I think about that, I'm how grateful I am that they told me that, or otherwise I would have kept just looking, and you know. There's always somebody of the opposite sex that's gonna say, "Well, who cares if you're brand new?" Right. So, and and I and I was, you know, I was on the lookout. So they said, "No, no, no." Yeah, and I'm guessing, uh, I'm guessing even maybe even more so back then, but I know it's certainly the case now. The rooms are still majority men, uh, in in a few only a few women, and there's a lot of codependent men in there as well. It's something that goes along that's with. That's true. Uh, very often who are who are you know got their eyes on you and you know ready to sink their hooks into you as well um that's right which is part of why that uh, you know no new relationships in the first year uh policy or or suggestion um exists um it's tough and 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 i can only imagine uh you know that it was tougher in the 70s than it, than it is now yeah yeah it was now i i minneapolis as you know since you got um since you went through a program up mm -hmm. here too uh minneapolis is kind of a mecca of, of aa and al-anon right. because of so many treatment programs and particularly then and i i'm not sure that all those same treatment programs are still viable mm -hmm. today hazelden certainly is but right. uh but at any rate it was uh it it probably was Oh, two thirds men. No, not quite two thirds men, but more than half were men. Right. And there were women. Now, fortunately, there were at that time women's meetings too. Yes, I was going to ask. So I do. I go to one uh, men's meeting here once in a while, but usually I go to meetings with men and women, and uh, I feel better about it now. But sir, in the beginning, uh, knowing the my personality and my character defects. Everything I shared, I had the women in the room on my mind. Like, what do they think of this, of what I'm yeah. saying? Is this impressing them? Am I funny? Yeah. Am I being vulnerable enough or or witty yeah. or something? And uh, 
obviously that shapes our our the way that we're handling our our recovery. Um, so it was good for me to occasionally go to a meeting or in in my uh, treatment programs with men's groups, um, where I think I was probably more authentic in when there weren't women around. Yeah, I agree. I I agree. I was so glad for women's meetings because yeah. there was a lot that I needed to talk about, but that I would, could not have comfortably talked about in a mixed group. Right. So. Sure. Um, which kind of leads me to my next question. Um, you know, your, your, your first book um, is meditations for women in recovery. So um, I guess I'd like to talk about the difference in uh, what you see as the difference in treatment or in recovery and addiction, alcoholism, and the whole process, the whole journey, the difference uh, between that journey for, for women and for men um, and uh, why you uh, chose then and have chosen to have this focus on, on helping uh, women through this uh, journey. Well, actually, you know, there was a, a person interesting. Uh, well, it's a, there's a little backstory. Sure. When I went to AA, I didn't believe in God. You know, it's like, even though that first Al-Anon meeting and I felt so comfortable and I saw all the steps and traditions and I thought, well, all of this might work. However, the God part might be doesn't. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of people in graduate school or a lot of people in general, I, I really, I, I don't know if I would say I was an atheist, but I was for sure an agnostic. And I, I wasn't going to buy the program if it was, mm -hmm. if it was you know, a Christian program. It yeah, was me like, too. No, no, no. And, um, but I thought this feels good and I'll go back. And, um, and actually a little tiny little side story, which you might get a charge out of. They sent me home that first meeting from that Al-Anon meeting with the little Al-Anon one day at a time book. And I went home and I read it from cover to cover. Of course, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, I'll figure this out real fast. Yep. And um, and I went back the next week and they said, well, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm just fine. I finished the book. <laughs> That's all it takes. And they all laughed and they said, okay, now you might want to start it over and read a page a day. <laughs> yeah. And that was my first introduction to the idea of a daily meditation book. I certainly at that point wasn't ever thinking of writing something. Mm -hmm. But when I ended up in AA and struggled to have that relationship I would go to a meeting and feel so good and so connected and then I would leave and go home and and feel pretty disconnected and uh, and I just couldn't I couldn't seem to recapture that sense of connection that I had at the meeting and um and it was really, you know, after, it, it was really a struggle for me, not a struggle that made me want to drink, but, but, a, but I had a lot of fear. It's like, where is this God that everybody else talks about? And, and I know I, I read a book that was real helpful uh, that somebody suggested to me, my Matthew Fox, the musical mystical bear. And it just was a great little book. And, and in that book, he said, you know, don't make a big deal out of this. Just, just sit down and, and have a cup of coffee with God. And, and so that, that began to help me a little bit. 
but I also um, I also began to journal more. You know, journaling, and as I said in graduate school, writing was just such a no brainer, and um, and so journaling um, was just second nature. I mean, I oh my god, I filled so many journal books with all the same crap over <laughs> over again. <laughs> But this was a different kind of journaling. It was, it felt as though God and I were having a conversation. Hmm. And, um, and at this time, I actually had gotten a job at Hazelden. And um, I had, after my, after I had finished graduate school, I had met Terry Williams, who was the head of the family program at that time. And he said, and he was dating my my husband, my second husband, has seven sisters. And Terry Williams was dating one of them. And we went out for supper. And he said, Well, now that you have your doctor, what are you thinking of doing? And I said, Well, you know, I just I'd really love to get a job writing. And because writing just brings such pleasure to me. Right. And he said, Well, why don't you contact Hazelden? And I did, and they said, No, we don't hire writers, but you have a doctorate. So, you know, maybe we can hire you for something else. <laughs> so, so they did hire me. And I did end up working in the marketing publishing world. And, um, but I still would sit at night and, and try to find some peace of mind. And the man who at that time was the director of Hazelden, his name was Harry Swift. And he was just a delightful, wonderful man. And, and for some reason, he took an interest in um, how I was doing. And, um, and he, he asked me, he said, well, how's your recovery going? And I said, I told him about my struggle. And I told him that I was journaling a lot about trying to find God. And amazingly, Jay, he said, would you mind sharing with me some of the things that you've written. And it was kind of like, really? <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I, I, I was kind of taken aback, but I thought, oh, sure, why not? I mean, there's, there aren't any secrets there. So I did, and, and he said, can I hang on to these for a few days? And I said, absolutely. And so he called me a, a, a week or so later and said, you know, Karen, I think there's a book here, a book for women. Wow. And it was like, what? And he said, yeah, he said, I think that Hazelden should publish a daily meditation book for women. And it was like, I, I was dumbstruck. And, um, and so that's how it, that's how the whole thing came about. And the thing that was really so funny, though, too, is that uh, the two men in charge of publishing and production we're also men in recovery. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, there isn't any reason for a book for women. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's what they told Harry. And Harry said, trust me, there is. And the one said, well, we'll get some reviews from women first and see if we think they want a book. And so he sent pages out to, I, I don't know how many women, and they all wrote back and said, yes, 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 we'd love this book. And so then the man in production said, well, okay, 
we'll print 10,000, but we'll probably never sell them. Uh -huh. <laughs> Four million copies later. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it is, it's uh -huh. one of those, uh, uh, it, it's one of, I mean, and I'm as surprised as everybody. I mean, I yeah. thought, well, <laughs> He's probably right. His name was Jack. And I thought Jack's probably right. They'll never sell 10,000 copies. Wow. And, uh, How, what a story. That's such like a, you know, serendipitous event. And the fact that, you know, he took an interest, then wanted to read it and, yeah. and then had that thought. And then for, for him to think this is a, uh, would be a, a good book for women in recovery. Yeah. Um, right. Just to have that thought again, when that didn't exist before, there's no other examples right. of it. Um, and then for it to even push back, uh, you know, against some some naysayers, and uh, yeah. to achieve the kind of success it has, and have impacted so many women along the way. I mean, what what a story! That that is something else. It is. Let me show you a copy of the original, and then oh, sure. this yeah. one. Okay, sure. Yeah. This is what the original book looked like. Uh -huh. it looks like Hazelden book. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, it was, you know, it's just a beautiful little book. And it was so often re referred to for a long time as the little green book. Yes. And, uh, and here is a letter, actually, from Betty Ford. Oh, my goodness. Who, who wrote a letter to Hazelton saying that I stuck in this book saying, you know, this is what we need. Oh. You know? And um, and then this is the... Um, edition for the 40th anniversary that's a beautiful cover so, too i like that it is a nice cover it yeah. is it feels kind of velvety and yeah. uh this has a, a foreword written by marianne williamson the new mm. york times best-selling author yeah so um wow that's so just anyway amazing. it's it is it you know it just kind of it's like how can i have have how did I get so old? <laughs> How did these years go by so fast? Well, it's better than not getting old, right? Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yes. Now, it, it's like it, it truly is uh, an amazing kind of journey, one that. that what a journey. It is. And, and one that you don't expect, you know, it's just one that, that kind of, you know, like you said earlier, kind of presents itself to you and, right. uh, and you just take the road, you know? Oh, right. And you know what? To th when I think back on um, when I said I think I came out of the womb codependent and and um, and you know I think that that I I, I did I came I, I felt so easily rejectable which then kept happening in my life um, you know until I finally came into the rooms you know I as I said I picked wrong people but you know after I got sober. Jay, I took a, I took a class, um, not a, it wasn't a college class. It was just a class being offered by somebody. I can't remember, but it was on the family of origin. And the uh, instructor said, you need to go back and interview your parents and, mm. and grandparents or anybody in your family tree to find out some of those things that that were true in your past that maybe have imprinted you. Right. And, um, and I went back, I, I contacted my parents and I know that they thought, oh dear, 
you know, what's this going to be about? <laughs> yeah. I had not been the easiest kid, yeah. you know, four of us, and I had two older sisters, and of course, you know, they never caused problems at all, and then there was me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there was my younger brother, yeah, and, but anyway, um, I went back, and, and my mother and I sat down, and uh, I said, tell me about your life, mother, and she began to cry, and she just kind of sobbed and she said, you know, I never felt like a good wife or a good mother. And I never wanted you when I was pregnant for you. Oh. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And she, unbeknownst to me, her first two pregnancies had been very difficult. And Dr. Cole, our family doctor, had said to her, you shouldn't have more children, Thelma. And my dad wanted a boy. Mm -hmm. So she got pregnant again, but she was not, she really didn't want to be pregnant. And you know, I I sat there and as she cried, I cried and I just held her and she said, oh, I, I'm so afraid that because I hadn't wanted you, that's why you're alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 that isn't. But I said, that answers so many questions for me. Yeah. Because it, it really, I mean, I when I say that I think I was born codependent and grabbing a hold of somebody, I think that, that I think that, you know, you can sense in the womb yep. that, that feeling of not being wanted. Ugh. And I, I really... I mean, she did not make me an alcoholic in any stretch. However, a lot of those feelings are what ultimately led me mm -hmm. to that first drink, yeah. which, which opened the door to a truly incredible life. Yes, yes. And, oh. and you know, I sat down with my dad, Jay, and uh, he had been a banker there in Lafayette, a very successful man. Um and we sat down and I said, tell me about your life. And he said, I've been afraid every day of my life. <sighs> and I was stunned because he had been a very uh, easy, easy. He was easy to anger. Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't an alcoholic, but I think that there were alcoholics in his family tree. Um, I think that he prevented himself. I will not drink too much kind of thing. Yeah, you know? right. And, um, but when he said he was afraid every day of his life and that every day that he went to the bank, he was afraid that he would approve a loan for somebody that would never be able to pay it back. Mm. And I said, you know, that wouldn't have been your fault if they defaulted. And he said, yes, it would by God. It would have been my responsibility. Wow. And it went back to his childhood when he was six years old. He was mowing the lawn and he accidentally cut the tips of two fingers of his little brother off. His oh. little brother stuck his hand. And his parents were just, of course, yeah. irate. It was all my dad's fault. I, I mean, it all makes sense. It really shows um, those 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 two stories really show something that I I try really hard to 
to remember and something that my dad taught me actually, which is uh, uh, ask the right questions. It shows how much you can learn about people. You just asked, tell me about your life, yeah. right? And you, and, and, yeah. and you learn so much that, that, and I think that we, you know, that most people, we don't ask, we don't ask questions. We don't ask enough questions right. about our, from our loved ones and our family and our friends to learn their story and to learn what we can learn right. uh, through, through their stories. Well, I know yeah. that you you have to go here pretty soon, so I don't want to I don't want to keep you past uh, past our time. But I do want to finish uh, like I do with every episode um, with some gratitude. So uh, I quickly I'll just say that uh, after talking to you about teaching, it just reminded me how grateful I am today for all the students that I taught. Um, I was really lucky. I think that that people. Uh, don't often think about how much teachers learn from their students. And I, and I certainly learned a lot from my students. Um, and that's what I'm th grateful for today. How about you? What do you, what do you especially? Well, you know, I am so grateful for all the opportunities I had to do workshops and, and to continue to do programs on Zoom and stuff. I'm, but I'm so grateful for all the travel that I have done around the world and meeting people and shaking hands with people that I would never have met otherwise. One of the, the things that I made a point of doing whenever I did a program any place, I made a point before it ever began of walking through the crowd and shaking hands and looking into the eyes of people. And I'm so grateful that I felt in that, in that whole process, I felt really touched by their love and I wanted mm -hmm. them to feel touched by mine. So I'm I'm so grateful for doing that. And, and the thing that prompted me to do that is I think is that with my first husband, I went to an event with him and we were, yeah, we were both crazy drunks. And a woman came up to me and said, now who are you? And I said, well, I'm Bill Hilty's wife. And she said, no, who are you? <laughs> and it never occurred to me, had never occurred to me, Jay, to think, who am I? So I wanted to go up to people in essence and say, and who are you? Mm -hmm. oh. Because I wanted, I just really wanted people to know that I saw them. You know, wow. I think that it's so important to pass that on to people. I see you. Absolutely. What a what a lesson. Um, well, I certainly I know I, that we are not in the same room. We're doing this over Zoom, but I certainly feel even just in this uh, you know short hour that we've had to chat, um, I feel a connection with you. Like like you said, when you walk in those rooms, you just feel like you're at home. Um, I see you. I see you, Jay. This has been a total. And it would be uh, it would be a real delight if you come back to Minneapolis for any reason. You have my email. Yes. Let me know ahead of time, and we will meet up for a cup of coffee. Oh, I would love that, and I will. I will I would definitely too. be in Minneapolis, and I will definitely um, contact you so we can meet up for coffee. And thanks again okay, so much. That would be great. For, oh, thanks thank again so you. much for coming on and. Good luck in everything you're doing with the books and in your recovery and everything you're doing for people in the community. Wow. Uh, 
first of all, thanks again to Karen Casey for coming on the show today and for sharing her experience and wisdom with us. Um, I feel like that interview really hit me right in the heart. I'm just so grateful for all the incredible people like Karen, who I have had a chance to meet over the last uh, seven or so years and um, for all they have been able to teach me. Just by listening to their stories, I've learned so much, uh, and I continue to learn, and that's um, why this podcast is just as much for me as it is for for anyone else who's listening. If you, too, learned something today or enjoyed what you heard, um, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, feel free to click that Support the Podcast link if you're feeling it. Also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to share with me about the podcast or about my book, or if you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. Um, or just spread the word. Tell a friend if you have one, or if you don't have any friends, go tell a bunch of strangers, or maybe a shout out or share on social media. Uh, that that seems to work even better. Um, and don't forget also to go out there and um, buy Karen Casey's uh, 40th anniversary edition of her new book, Each Day a New Beginning, Daily Meditations for Women, um, or any of her uh, other books. There were about 30-something other books. So um, buy them all. How about that? But most of all, thanks to all of you for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.